Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. It's good. You guys are awake. Hey, if you're a guest with us, uh, my name's Rob. I'm one of the ministers here at New Hope, and uh, I'm really glad that you're here with us this morning. I know that if this is your first time uh, ever or first time in a long time in a church, it can be a little uncomfortable. Uh, you can step into a room, uh, not know a lot of people, and feel intimidated. I know for me, um, I really felt awkward and weird uh, when I started coming to church as a senior in high school because uh, I didn't know people. I thought some of the things I did were weird, uh, didn't feel connected, and over time, God kind of met me there and put the right people in my path. And so I'm hopeful that your experience here at New Hope is like mine was, that the right people come into your path, you feel welcome here. Uh, we've got a gift for you we'd love for you to pick up out in the lobby at the Welcome Center, and you can learn how to get involved, uh, how to stay connected. And so those white cards that you fill out, uh, they're really helpful in the seat in front of you, and you can drop that off at the Welcome Center on your way out today. That helps us stay connected with you, lets us pray for you, lets us know what's going on in your life, what you want to learn more about. And so we appreciate you doing that um, today. And so I want to thank you if you're a guest with us. Everybody else, if you, this is your first time or you consider New Hope your church home, uh, I want to encourage you to stop in the lobby. We've got a table set up with one of our strategic partners who's a missionary in Brazil. Uh, his name's John Novice, and he and his uh, son Caleb are here. And they're here to just meet you, interact with you, answer questions, let you know how they're making disciples in a place we can't quite reach. And so we partner with them, and they're making disciples in Brazil, and you can stop by there and get caught up with them or learn about their mission for the first time. I want to encourage you to stop by there as well. Now, we're in a series that we're going to continue today and through the summer on the book of Proverbs called Blind Spots. Uh, and we're going to walk through this book. I'm encouraging you to read it all summer, to stay involved with it, to allow God to kind of teach you as we pursue wisdom together as a church and individually in our lives. I'm going to pray for us this morning, and we'll continue this series. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. God, we thank you that we can be honest with you, can be real with you. Um, God, I'm grateful for all the people you've placed in my life that have pointed me toward wisdom, all the people that have uh, spoke your truth into my life when I needed to hear it. And so, Father, as we come and we open your word, my prayer is that through this series you do that in our lives that at the right time you speak the right word to our heart, that we would walk out of a room like this changed. Father, as we gather together as the church, preparing to scatter and live intentionally on mission during the week, my prayer is that our hearts are prepared to receive what you have to say to us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we started this series last week, and we discussed that each of us have blind spots in our life. And I don't know about you, but I was praying this week that God would not give me another good illustration about blind spots in my car uh, and so I was praying, God, I don't need any more personal illustrations. Let's just avoid that. Uh, but many people came to me during the week, and they're like, hey, I've got blind spots. You should hear about this almost accident I got in. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's go a different direction with blind spots. So I'm thinking, what other areas do we have blind spots in? And many of us, uh, you can have a blind spot not only when you're driving, but when you're playing sports, when you're doing other things. Uh, many of us, we've seen when a quarterback drops back in the pocket, and he gets, what, blindsided, right? When he doesn't see the linebacker come through, and the linebacker lights him up. Now, if you're here, you cheer when that happens to Tom Brady, correct? Well, you cheer when the linebacker gets through and blindsides him. It's when, he th when you think you see reality, when you think you've got a grip on what's going on around you, only to find out that you weren't seeing things the way that they really are. And so you get leveled. Just like a linebacker levels a quarterback, you get leveled by life when you leave sin unchecked. Certain things in your life that you think, that's not a big deal, it's not an issue, I can deal with this, I can overcome this, I'm strong enough, only to find out you're not strong enough when that sin and its consequences rear its ugly head in your life and really mess with your personal life and the relationships of the people that are around you. A blind side could be a character flaw that you completely miss out on and people are trying to tell you and point it out to you in your life and you're just blind to it. 
Until one day, that blind spot wreaks its havoc in your life, and it destroys relationships, and it hurts the people that are around you. This is why when you read your Bible, you come across this phrase consistently in the New Testament. It says, he who has eyes to see, let him see. Or it might say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what, what God is saying to you. See, the Bible is very concerned with this idea of blind spots and very concerned with you uh, humbling yourself to the point where you can see these blind spots and then live out what God teaches in his word to overcome these blind spots. He who has eyes to see, let him see. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This was Solomon's big concern when he wrote this book. He, has, he had lived this full life. First Kings chapter 4 tells us that he had gained so much wisdom from living this incredible life. He had gained more wealth than anyone in history. You might think that we have wealthy people. We plant gardens. He planted forests. Okay, this guy had money beyond belief. He had people traveling from all over the world to sit before him. He had everything you could think of to define success. Everything. Now, the guy had it all. And he sits down to write this to his children. And he says, despite all of it, these blind spots creep up in our life. And I want to pass on this wisdom to you. And so last week we talked about the wisdom in Proverbs. It's a series of speeches. And then you get to chapter 10, all the way through chapter 31, and it's these memorable phrases that you can commit to memory in your heart that deal with all different aspects of life. Proverbs is like a diamond. You can pick it up and look at life from multiple angles, and you can see things differently. And it's almost like it prepares you for the life you're about to live. And so Proverbs is yelling out, hey, here's something that can happen to you if you go down this path of foolishness. And so instead of going down this path of foolishness, combat that foolishness with this sort of wisdom. And you can see what tragedy might lie ahead of you before it ever even arrives. And you can begin to deal with it by pursuing the wisdom that God has for your life. And not only that, Proverbs is spoken in this real practical language. It's an easy book to understand. We put this quote up last week. I want to put it up again. Derek Kidner, in his little commentary on Proverbs, he says this, The book of Proverbs performs the function of putting godliness into working clothes. What he's saying is it's not too churchy. It's easy to understand. It doesn't take a lot to grab onto. And you can listen to the words of this book, apply it to your life at any point, And it's going to lead you down a path of flourishing instead of a path of destruction. And so it all begins, like we said, with this idea of uh, allowing the fear of the Lord to settle in on our hearts. And we talked about the fear of the Lord being a place where we position our lives in a place of humility so we can receive God's truth. And your greatest fear is an indicator of your greatest love. The thing that you love the most is the thing that you fear losing the most. And so when you have the fear of the Lord, it's I could lose everything else in life, God, but I can't lose you. And it's your greatest fear because it's your greatest fear of what you might lose. You won't lose it, but you have that deep of a love. And when you have that love in your heart, when you have that love in your, height, in, in your life, you've positioned yourself to receive the wisdom of God in, in your life and in your heart so that you can live it out. And God can use you for his purposes in the world. Now, today we're going to look at chapter 3 and we're going to answer the question, like, what good is wisdom in my life personally? How does wisdom benefit me? How does it impact my life? How do I live it out? What is this thing, wisdom, and, and what does it look like if I allow God to pour into me his wisdom? How does it play out in my everyday life? But before we get there, I want to read you an introduction that Eugene Peterson writes about wisdom because it's a, really, it's, a, it's a practical way for us to understand what Solomon's getting at when he speaks of this word wisdom. So here's what Eugene Peterson says. Wisdom is the biblical term for the on earth as it is in heaven, everyday living. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions that you find yourself. It has virtually nothing to do with information as such, with knowledge as such. See, a college degree is no certification of wisdom, nor is it primarily concerned with keeping us out of our moral mud puddles. 
although it does have a profound moral effect upon us. Wisdom has to do with becoming skillful in honoring our parents and raising our children, handling our money and conducting our sexual lives, going to work and exercising leadership, using words well and treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthy, cultivating emotions within ourselves and attitudes toward others that make for peace. Threading through all of these items is the insistence that, they, that the way we think of and respond to God is the most practical thing that we do. In matters of everyday practical living, nothing, absolutely nothing, takes precedence over God. And so as we begin looking in chapter 3, we're going to learn that wisdom really allows us to live a culture of life, to develop a culture of life while surrounded by a culture of death. How in the middle of a culture that wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you value, do you have this light of life in your, around you? both in your personal life and the lives of the people that are around you. And so Solomon wants to offer us this, and he's going to do it in three real practical ways. The first, the first truth we learn about wisdom is this. Godly wisdom, it enriches your life. It actually takes your life to a deeper meaning. It actually makes, it enhances everything around you. Everything that your life experiences can be enhanced when you're pursuing godly wisdom. And so he starts out in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all of her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. I love this little passage because the first and the last word are blessed. So it's saying, hey, your life will be blessed by pursuing wisdom. That word blessed is the Hebrew word adam. Everyone say adam. One, two, three. Adam. It's the general word for human being. So here's what Solomon's saying. The blessed life that comes from wisdom is available to all people. Anyone who's willing to get up and go after it. This brings us to this understanding that the Bible teaches us about God's grace. God's grace has two forms. His common grace and his special grace. See, God's common grace is available to all people. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that God makes the sun to shine on the, the good and the evil. He brings his rain upon the just and the unjust. You see, God's common grace is available to all people. So wisdom, Solomon is saying, is available to anybody who will get up and go after it. You can attain it if you'll just chase after it. Anybody. You see, this is a side note, but God's common grace is an interesting thing to me. When people say that they want to remove God from everything, I don't think they understand what they're asking. You see, because God's common grace is displayed for all people, Christians and non-Christians alike. And so to remove his common grace from our world is actually a picture of what hell will be like. Completely removing his influence, completely removing his wisdom, completely removing his guidance in all situations everywhere would be what hell will be like. But God hasn't done that because he continues to display his common grace to all people everywhere. And so Solomon's telling us, hey, you can go after wisdom. It's a common thing. It's a common grace. But don't stop there. And he continues on. He says, you don't stop there. When God is offering you to take that common grace and enrich it and point you toward a special grace, this special grace in your life. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel because Solomon says, hey, God wants to take you. And if you'll allow him in his common grace to introduce you to wisdom, but in his special grace to take it even further, it'll take you to what he identifies here as the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is bookending the Bible. It's found in the beginning of the Bible in the place that God created called Eden, where everything was perfect and God had a perfect relationship with his people. If you flip over to the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus. And he says, repent. And that simply means rethink the way you're doing life. 
Rethink everything you know about life and turn in a different direction. Repent and remember the love that you had at first, the love for Jesus that you had at first. And to the one who conquers or overcomes, the one who applies this wisdom, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So will you identify this or will it be a blind spot in your life that prevents you? But he says, if you'll allow me to take my common grace and an introduction to wisdom and enhance it through my special grace, through what Jesus did, and coming to an understanding of what Jesus did in your life, you can combat the blind spot with godly wisdom. And he says, this wisdom is more important than anything you'll ever experience in life. In verse 15, he identifies it with, with money. He says, it's more precious than jewels and silver and gold. And this is a guy, again, who's so wealthy, he'd achieved all of his goals when it comes to wealth. And he says, wisdom, godly wisdom, is more important than anything I could ever earn in this life. It's a gift from God that he places in my life. He says it's more important than any money that you'll ever make. See, this is what money to Money can, can buy you and put food on a table. But it's wisdom that puts laughter around that table. Think about that. Money can buy you a house, but wisdom is what makes it a home because of the relationships that you have in that house. Money can buy a, wo- a woman jewelry, but it's wisdom that wins her heart. In verse 17, he says, all the ways of wisdom are pleasantness. Friends, I don't know about you, but I've experienced this in life. When I pursue stuff and I pursue money and I pursue getting more things, and and even when you get them, you understand that pleasantness, all the ways of wisdom are pleasantness. You can't say that about money or wealth. You just can't. Because money, as much as it can bless you, and the Bible's not saying here that it can't. In fact, Solomon says it can be a blessing. But he says it can also completely wreck your entire life. Money can ruin your life. He says wisdom can never ruin your life. It will always enhance your life. It will always make it better. It will always enrich in it. And that's no common grace. He says that's the special grace that God does through Jesus in your life as he takes common introduction to wisdom and he enhances it in your life and he gives you the ability to live a life that's extraordinary and full. The second thing that wisdom does that Solomon talks about here is that godly wisdom enhances our worship. It enhances our worship. Verses 19 and 20 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, that the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So wisdom was God's way of creating, and wisdom is what he's telling us here is our way of paying attention to his creation. Therefore, it deepens our worship. It helps us worship to a, better, uh, to a deeper understanding of who God is and what God has done. So the more you know God, the deeper your worship of God can be. Think about it this way. When an astronomer, right, when he looks at the skies, he's got a deeper appreciation for the constellations, the stars, and the planets. They can see more in the sky because they know more about the sky. Think about a musician. When a musician, my brother-in-law, TJ, is like this, uh, very much like this. When they listen to a symphony, they have a greater appreciation for the melodies and the chords and the instruments. They can hear better what's going on around them because they know more about it. The deeper they know, the more it's enhanced. When my son last week was watching the NBA Finals, Okay, like many of us were, right? He's watching the finals. We were sitting in my neighbor's garage watching it on a, on a TV on the wall. And I sat back and watched my son and his friends interact as they're watching Steph Curry and Kevin Durant do their thing, right? My son wouldn't break free of the TV. Every time the game was on, he was staring. His friends wanted to keep running around and playing, and he couldn't take his eyes off of it. And he would ask me questions about why'd they run that play, why'd they do that, how did he get open. And he's studying the game. See, my, my son enjoyed the game more because he understood more about the game. You see how this works? The more you know, the deeper you're able to worship. I would say it this way. Wisdom enhances your worship. Now, compare this to the way Jesus interacted with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 in your New Testament. 
Jesus is journeying and comes across this woman at this well, and she's a Samaritan, and, and he's a Jew, and she begins to tell him about worship, and he responds to her and says, you guys don't really understand it because you don't know God the way you think you know God. And in verse 22 he says, of chapter 4, he says this, you Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. What he's telling her is this, you're worshiping out of ignorance. You're not, you don't have a complete understanding of who God is and what he's done. You haven't experienced his wisdom in your life, so your worship's incomplete. It's not as deep and as meaningful and as, as enriched as it possibly could be. Let me illustrate it this way. Hey, guys, have you ever apologized to your wife without knowing what you were apologizing for? Happy Father's Day, okay? Anybody? I've been there. I've been caught a few times, and here's how. I'll apologize because I just want to end the argument, right? I'd like, let's just get past this. And she'll say, what are you sorry for? And she's got me stuck. I'm like, uh, right? And then she calls my bluff, and she's not happy with me. And some of you are like, I don't want to answer that because it's true, right? It's true in your life, too. That's a disingenuous. It's a disingenuous apology because I wasn't actually listening to her. I just wanted to end an argument. It was a selfish approach. See, many of us, we worship the same way. There's words on the screen, and we sit in here, and we can sing them, sing along with the tune or the melody, right? We come in, and we listen to a sermon, and we listen to what is being said, and we're judging whether or not we like it or don't like it. And the whole time, we're not actually in a place of worship. What would it look like if God came and interrupted our singing and asked us why it is we were singing? What are the words you're singing? Why are you singing those words? What would it be like if God interrupted your discipleship group this week and he asked you, why are you guys meeting? Why do you sit in a home like this? What are you doing? What if God interrupted your devotional time and asked you what it is you're reading and why you were reading it? What about your service project? We love service projects. We love going on these trips where we serve and build things. If God interrupted that and asked you, why are you doing this? What's the real reason you're doing it? How would we respond? You see, a life of wisdom, Solomon's saying here, it enhances our worship because it takes us to a deeper knowledge of the one that we're worshiping. Because we look around and we understand all that he's done, so we come into a place like this, and the songs are in response to the creation, that we've seen him display his, his beauty, both in creation and in what he's doing in our own lives and in our hearts through the truth of the gospel. See, a, tr- a life of wisdom is putting things in our path to prevent a blind spot to develop where worship needs to be clear. And so Solomon says, it'll enrich your life, it'll deepen your worship. And the third thing he says is this, godly wisdom will protect you from sin. It's actually God's way of protecting you from the landmines of sin that are placed all around our world and in our culture. He says this in verse 21, my son, don't lose sight of these. He who has eyes to see, he who has ears to hear, listen to what I'm about to say to you. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be a life for your soul. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to underline that or highlight it. See, the wisdom that he's pointing out to us, he's saying this, this is life for your very soul. There'll be an adornment for your neck. They're going to enhance your life. You'll walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. I don't know about you, but I've tripped and stumbled in life and made a mess out of things because of my sin. He's saying the more you pursue wisdom, the less you stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. My daughter, Abby, last night, storm hit around Brownsburg, thunder and lightning, the skies lit up, and sure enough, I hear these footsteps coming down the floors of the hallway and she comes running into our room and as soon as she came in I said get out go to bed be be a grown-up no I didn't she came in and she was terrified of the storm woke up she was disoriented she came in I picked her up I put her next to us in bed and I told her Abby as long as we're here you're safe this is what he's saying here this is what he's telling us when you have God near you when you allow God and his wisdom to enhance your life and protect you from the sin of the world when you lie down your sleep will be sweet Don't be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. God will protect you. I love this because 
As we grow in wisdom, you look at this, uh, the way that this is translated. In verse 26, it says, The Lord will be your confidence. What it literally means is he'll be your companion through life. God will be your companion. He will walk with you every step of the way. You could actually translate it exactly in Hebrew this way. The Lord will be at your side. Think about this. On your worst day, do you feel God's presence? Because what Solomon's saying is if you're living a life of wisdom, you feel the presence of God in your lowest moments, not just in the high moments, not just in the moments where it feels good and you like the music and the preacher, but in those dark moments where you feel alone and by yourself, where depression and anxiety set in, where you feel like a failure, God is right by your side, when you don't think you can take it anymore. Think about this, the life of the Apostle Paul. You read a lot about him in your New Testament. He wrote a lot of letters in your New Testament. What I love about this is I picture what the Apostle Paul would have actually looked like. He would have been one ugly dude. Let me tell you why. His skin would have been rough. He'd had scars all over him. He was mistreated. He was abused. He was beaten on multiple occasions. He slept naked and cold and by himself. He was shipwrecked four different times and survived. He was bitten by a deadly snake. This guy endured it all. And look at how he describes his life in those low moments in in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says this, At my first defense, no one came to stand by by me. They all deserted me. Everybody left me. I felt alone. But may it not be charged against them. But the Lord, just like in our passage, stood by me and he strengthened me. See, a life of wisdom is one that recognizes that God is there with you in the difficult times. Not just of depression, but of temptation and difficulty. And so men, let me speak to you this morning on this Father's Day. I debated whether or not to even say this, but I kind of feel convicted to say it. I want to charge you and challenge you. Take it or leave it. But I think the way of wisdom is calling us to two specific things. And the first one I would say, well, let me actually say this to you. I didn't have this growing up. See, I think of Father's Day, and it's fascinating to me. You can be a chain maker or a chain breaker. Many of you sitting in this room, you're dads, and you come from a long line of really good dads, and you look back at the other links in the chain, and you're grateful. Others, we got to look back, and we got to say, that chain's not the one I want to be a part of, and you have to become a new chain. And for me, I look back, and I don't have that long chain. But by God's grace... He put the right men in my life to speak truth into my life and to lead me to where I'm at. So now when I look down at my kids, I've got three sons, and I want them to be three strong links in a new chain of good men. And so I say this from that heart and that position. The first thing I think that the protection from sin and the wisdom of God is calling you to do is this. Put the necessary things in your life to protect you from sin. Please. Men, I would say in the culture we live in today, I think you should have accountability software on every device that you own, every computer and every cell phone. You're like, are you serious? Did you just say that? I just said it. Wives, I think you should ask your husbands about it. Put the accountability software on every device. The world we live in, we're up against an enemy. Let me tell you a little bit about our enemy. His number one chief objective is to seek and to kill and to destroy everything about your life. He's not playing fair. He doesn't play tennis. He doesn't go back and forth with you and test your strength. All he wants to do is overcome you, kill you, and destroy you. And when we play with fire and we think we're strong enough, we're way underestimating and living the life of foolishness. And Solomon's saying, no, God's wisdom wants to protect you from sin. And so you need to put the things in your life in a wise manner that protect you from the landmines of sin that are all around us. I've got accountability software and I've limited my access to the internet, just being transparent on every device I own. My wife has every single password to every single thing that I have. And I say that to you and you might say, hey, Rob, you're a preacher and you're a pastor. Are you really that weak? I would respond to you and say, no, I'm not that weak. I'm that wise. Because I have an understanding of the enemy that I'm up against. And man, I think we're called on this Father's Day to be men of integrity and character who pursue the wisdom of God and place the right things in our life to protect our hearts and our minds from the sin that has corrupted the culture around us. If God's men won't be that, 
who will. The second thing is this. Put the necessary things in your life to protect your family from sin. God's wisdom is going to enhance your life, but also as, as a byproduct of that, the lives of the people that are around you. And so think about your children, the enemy. I want you to really consider this. The enemy's chief objective is to seek, kill, and destroy your kids. And he's doing it all around us. He wants to seek, kill, and destroy your marriage. And so be men of integrity. Be men of character. Be men that are pursuing God's wisdom and place the things in your life. Don't be passive. Passivity is not humility. Passivity is not godly. Don't be passive men. That's foolishness. Be involved in the lives of your children. Ask them questions. Chase your wife's heart. And you might say, you don't understand. I haven't chased her heart in a long time. My marriage is it's so far gone, Rob. You don't understand. I would lovingly come alongside you, lovingly. And I would say to this, get over yourself. Stop pouting. Act like a man. Pursue her. Be wise. Instruct your family. Do devotions as a family, guys. I think families being destroyed is the enemy's number one tool in our culture today. We've got to get around and do devotions around God's word. Answer your kids' questions. Question their boyfriends. Like crazy, question them. Question their girlfriends. Be a wise man who wisely leans into God to wisely lead his family because our enemy is seeking to destroy everything you love. And Solomon is saying here, be wise, avoid that. We're going to talk more extensively about what sin does in our hearts and in our lives next week, but men, to begin that journey, we have to make a decision. I will pursue wisdom and not foolishness. And I will allow God to protect my family because he's going to protect my heart with his wisdom as these landmines of sin are all around us. Now, the rest of everybody in the room, I would encourage you this way. There is something from this passage that we can directly apply to our lives, and we use this language in this church often. I mean it with all my heart. We gather for the purpose of preparing to scatter. Every one of you is a missionary. If you follow Jesus and you're in Christ, God's called you to be a missionary. And church doesn't happen in a seat on a Sunday watching a stage. The church gathers this way, and we hear from God's word, but church happens every day. And so how do we take this? And how do we walk out of here a little bit different and begin to apply it to our lives? There's only one thing today, so it might sound easy. It's anything but. It's not simple, and it's not, it's, it, it is simple, but it's not easy. It's a simple concept to wrap your mind around, but it's not easy to actually do because it'll force you out of your comfort zone. So the first thing is this, or the only thing is this, live a life of humility. See a need, meet a need. Verse 27 to 35, here's what Solomon says, he says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. So don't, you've got the ability to help, help. You see a need, meet that need. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come tomorrow, I will give it to you when you have what you need to help him right here and right now. Don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Treat the people that trust you with wisdom and love. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. So pursue wisdom, not foolishness. Verse 32, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence or are his companions. Same concept, same wording. They're his companions. He is with those who are upright and pursue integrity and character and wisdom. Verse 33, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. How does he bless them? We talked about it today. He enriches your life. He deepens your worship. He protects you from sin. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The Bible doesn't clearly tell us, go and be humble, because that we would treat it like a goal. That's what we do. If the Bible told us, go be humble, we would treat it like a goal. The Bible says, humble yourself. There's a difference there. It's not a goal. It's a condition of the heart. 
I humble myself when and how? By recognizing the greatness of who God is and what he's done in Jesus. When I sit in the magnificent view of the gospel, I have no choice but to be humble before him. And in that humility, he gives favor. And how does he do that? He says, the wise, they will inherit honor. But fools, they get disgrace. You see, you understand, God has called us to a life of wisdom, but it's not easy. It's simple. I want to pursue wisdom, and I want to reject foolishness. That's not easy to do. It's a simple thing, but it's not easy. So we have to live it out. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. We have to understand that God wants to use each and every one of us to advance his purposes, not just somebody with a title behind their name or someone on the staff at a church. Every single one of you are called to live the mission of God, and he wants to enhance your life and show you his favor through you living intentionally for him. Now, we did a training a few weeks ago, and I asked people to send in their emails, uh, any stories about how God might be using them intentionally. And I want to read you one of these emails from somebody in our church. They said this, living out this life of wisdom. Hi, Rob. You said uh, to send you emails about how God is working in our lives after the training that we did, this discipleship training. I wanted to share with you an interaction I had with a lovely older lady at Chick-fil-A. That's like heaven on earth, just so you know. I took Jenna out for her birthday at lunch, and she decided to meet me at Chick-fil-A. We set a time, and she texted and said that she needed to leave a little bit later, so we ended up arriving at Chick-fil-A in Avon at noon. That's peak chicken eating time at a place like that. (laughs) So it was packed. (coughs) We ordered, and there weren't many places to sit, um, but we finally saw an open booth. Somebody got up, and, and we went walking toward that open booth, but this older lady stopped and said, hey, you guys can sit here. She didn't see the booth behind her. And so I said to her, thank you, but there's a booth uh, right back here. I said, thanks, there's an open booth right here. And as soon as I sat down, I knew God was saying to me, really? Really? I knew that we were supposed to sit with her. You see, it was Jenna's birthday, and I was really looking forward to spending time with my daughter and just her. But I knew in my heart that God was asking me to get up and go sit with this lady. So we asked if we could eat with her, and she she smiled and said, yes, please. Now, being the introvert that I am, very introverted, and remembering your acronym in the discipleship training, just a simple acronym to walk through to carry conversations, I moved right through the letters of that acronym, and I learned all about her life. She had just lost her husband a few weeks ago, and she was lonely and sad. She felt like she had nothing left. We talked about her purpose in life at 75 years old and how God would use her special ability, she was a nurse for 30 years, to comfort people as a volunteer. We spent an hour with her, and she said that God knew exactly what she needed that day, This was the first day she had been out since her husband died. She said she hadn't broken down yet about her husband, but she sat and cried with us. We we held each one of her hands and we prayed with her. This is what I love. God showed me that day that he's big enough to arrange the stars in the sky. He's also big enough to arrange the meeting of two people at a Chick-fil-A in Indiana. I learned that all I had to do was be obedient, and he took care of the rest. See a need? Meet a need. You see, when your life is like the Apostle Paul described in Philippians 2, consider the needs of others as far more important than your own, and you begin to think about other people, not just what you want and what you get and what you attain. You're meeting the needs of others. At the same time, God is meeting your needs. As you're living a life of wisdom, he's pouring out his favor on your life, and you become more and more used by him. He becomes more and more faithful in your life. See, the friends, the the question I have for you is this. When it comes to living a life of wisdom as opposed to a life of foolishness, will you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what God's doing in your life, what he's calling you to, what he wants to use to protect you, to enhance your worship, and to enrich your life? Because that decision's up to you. Let's pray.
Father, thank you. Thank you for wisdom, God. Thank you that in this life you didn't leave us alone, but you're our companion. You walk with us hand in hand. Father, thank you for the men in my life that have poured into me the wisdom that you have given to them. Father, thank you that as we journey through life and we seek your wisdom, you really do enhance our lives with purpose and with value and with meaning. And Father, you deepen our worship and we come into a place like this and it's anything but routine at that point. We're not going through the motions. We come into this place and we're singing about the God that we've journeyed with all week. And we're prepared to meet for communion and hear from your word so that when we walk out of here, we really are different because we're encountering the God that we have spent time with each and every day. And Father, thank you that your wisdom protects us from the landmine of sin that is everywhere around us, seeking to kill and destroy everything we love and value. And so God, my prayer for each one of us is that we would position our hearts in the place of humility, that we would walk humbly with our God, that we would seek justice and pursue wisdom in our hearts. And as a result, Father, you would use us for your purposes. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.